This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens. I get asked all the time what I would take if I could only take one supplement. The answer is invariably Athletic Greens. I view it as all-in-one nutritional insurance. I recommended it, in fact, in the four-hour body. This is more than 10 years ago, and I did not get paid to do so. With approximately 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, you'd be very hard-pressed to find a more nutrient-dense and comprehensive formula on the market. It has multivitamins, multimineral greens complex, probiotics and prebiotics for gut health, an immunity formula, digestive enzymes, adaptogens, and much more. I usually take it once or twice a day just to make sure I've covered my bases if I miss anything I'm not aware of. Of course, I focus on nutrient-dense meals to begin with. That's the basis. But Athletic Greens makes it easy to get a lot of nutrition when whole foods aren't readily available. From travel packets, I always have them in my bag when I'm zipping around. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving my audience a special offer on top of their all-in-one formula, which is a free vitamin D supplement and five free travel packs with your first subscription purchase. Many of us are deficient in vitamin D. I found that true for myself, which is usually produced in our bodies from sun exposure. So adding a vitamin D supplement to your daily routine is a great option for additional immune support. Support your immunity, gut health, and energy by visiting athleticgreens.com slash TFS. You'll receive up to a year's supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your subscription. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash TFS, as in Tim Ferriss show. Athleticgreens.com slash TFS. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tim Ferriss. Welcome to another episode of The Tim Ferriss Show. What you're about to hear is part three of a three-part conversation with Kevin Kelly, co-founder of Wired Magazine, best-selling author, all-around fascinating human being. If you didn't catch the first two parts, you might want to do that before venturing in. But if not, no fear. We answer a lot of questions. It's a conversation. You can pretty much dip in and dip out as you like. So if you don't mind your stories as more of a jigsaw puzzle, then by all means, Keep on listening. So without further ado, please enjoy part three, the final part of The Tim Ferriss Show with Kevin Kelly. And thank you for listening. Optimal minimal. At this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Can I ask you a personal question? Now what is it in a perfect time? What if I did the opposite? I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. Love to perhaps jump into some rapid fire questions, yeah. and they don't have to even be rapid. Uh, <laughs> but uh, just, just uh, or, some fire questions, or the just some fire questions. The, the questions will be rapid. The answers can be as short or as long as you'd like. <laughs> what book or books have you? Do you gift or have gifted the most to other people outside of your own books? There is a short graphic novel by Daniel Pink called Junko. Uh-huh. And it's career counsel advice. It's aimed at young people. It's a graphic novel. It's a cartoon, basically. And it's aimed at young people as trying to teach them how to be in, become indispensable. Mm-hmm. And I've given that away to young people because it's 
for me, the best summary of, again, it's not like how to become successful. It's how to become indispensable to. That's right. It's uh, Adventures of Johnny Bunko or yeah. something like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. That's right. I have that on my uh, bookshelf back in San Francisco, in fact. Yeah. If you know a young person who is just starting out, hand them that book. It's very easy for them to read because it's a graphic novel. It's non-threatening. It's fun. And it'll give them some, like five great principles for um, starting out and helping them kind of orient themselves as they start working in, in the working life. For someone who's facing a lot of the same questions, let's just say, so you have graduates asking the, what should I do? Why am I here? What am I good at? If we fast forward to say, for the sake of argument, mid thirties, right? People in middle age hitting that particular point. Are there any books that you would recommend they read? Well, there is a book that I'm recommending by Cal Newport. It's called So Good They Can't Ignore You. Hmm. This changed my mind because I'd kind of bought into the kind of new age California dogma of follow your bliss, you know, mm-hmm. money will follow. And he makes a really good argument and convinced me that's actually not very good advice. That hmm. what you really want to do is to master something and to use your mastering of something as a way to get to your passion. Hmm. So if you start with just passion, it's sort of paralyzing because, and I know this from my own kids, they have, they're 18, they really don't know what they're passionate about. I mean, mm-hmm. some people are lucky enough to know. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people aren't. So this is this is a book for people who don't kind of really know what they're really excellent at, don't really know what they're passionate about. And his premise is that you master something, almost anything at all, just something you master, and you use that mastery to kind of move you into a place where you can begin to have passion and that you right. kind of keep recycling that the way you find your passion is through mastery Hmm. rather than the other way around, which is people think that they're going to get their mastery through passion. And I kind of believe that former, you know, that the passion would lead to mastery. But after thinking about it, looking at his examples and his argument, I'm pretty sure that for at least for most people, Mm -hmm. you can get to your passion through mastery. And that would also give you a a currency or a lever to use in getting to that point. Exactly. Uh, Excellent. Do you have a favorite fiction book? Yes. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> I usually don't get one answer. This is great. Yeah. Shantaram. Ah. Mm-hmm. Shantaram, it might take me a way to explain this, but it's, it's, a one, it's an author who wrote one book because it's very autobiographical. The premise of the book and the author's life seems completely incredulous and kind of almost Hollywoodish. But what you get from it and, and the, where it's set, it's set in India, it sets in the slum of India, and you get an incredibly vivid, immersive, deep, and in some ways uplifting view of India and the underworld in India and of that part of Asia. And the, the main protagonist is this very interesting Zen criminal. He's sort of a... Um, coyote trickster Mm. blend of someone who is you know he does bad things but at the same time he's sorry about it (laughs) and he has a kind of a cosmic perspective it's very very unusual but it's a long book and i actually recommend if people are going to try to is that you actually to get the audible version listen to it Mm. it runs like you know on and on, but it'd be one of those books you that you wish will never end. And I'll just tell you the beginning of it, which is that, and this is the true part, mm-hmm. 
which is that the guy, the author, became a bank robber in New Zealand. He was hooked on drugs, started robbing banks, was eventually caught and escaped from prison. And he made his way to the slums of India where because he had a medical kit, he was treated as a doctor, got involved and hooked on drugs in India, got involved with the mafia, was put into prison, tortured, left, abandoned. Nobody knew he was in, even in there, started writing a book. He after, wrote this book. They ripped it up, destroyed it. He was recruited, found a guru, an Afghani, was recruited in the Muhajin, was fighting there. His entire company was wiped out. I mean, this, that's just the beginning. That's like the first day. <laughs> It's really interesting that you would bring up Shantaram. For those people who haven't heard of Josh Waitzkin, I also had him on this podcast. Josh was the basis for Searching for Bobby Fischer, the book and the movie. World-class chess player, also a very deep, soulful guy, and this is one of his favorite books as well. Oh, oh uh, Yeah, you would, you would love Josh. Sometime I'll have to put you guys in touch. But any favorite documentaries? Well, now you're, you've asked the wrong question because uh, I have a site called True Films. <laughs> <laughs> where for Perfect. the past 10 years, I have reviewed the best documentaries. And I actually have a book called True Films, which is the 200 best documentaries that you should see before oh you Oh, my die. God. No kidding. Wow, you have no idea how timely this is. So it's two, uh, T-R-U-E, films? Yeah, com? True Films. Okay. And so I, there are a couple of films that I would say have sort of universal appreciation. Like, you know, they may have like a rating of like 100 on Rotten Tomatoes or something. So... The one documentary that I think everybody uh, that I know have seen it has loved it is uh, Man on Wire. Such a good movie. Oh, right? Man. So it's, yeah. just, it's just transcendent. It's just a beautiful movie. It's based on the fact that this guy, basically, he's going to walk to Twin Towers. I mean, he the moment was he was a like, 14-year-old kid in France. He was at a dentist's office looking at a magazine, and he saw that there were had plans to build this Twin Tower in New York. And he saw those two Twin Towers, and he said, I need – to walk between them. He didn't know how to type walk. The towers had not been built. He was already planning this thing. <laughs> and he was filming himself the whole way. Yeah, so amazing. Okay, and so yeah. he, he does it. And how he does it is amazing. So another great documentary that I love because it's very unusual among documentaries in that it films the villain side of the whole thing as well, which is King of Kong. Oh, I haven't. This has been recommended to me. I still have not seen this movie. All King right. of Kong is about a guy who becomes the video game, arcade game, King of Kong. He becomes the champion. But he is basically competing against this cabal of people who are trying to subvert him and are doing all kinds of really terrible things to stop him, <laughs> which was all on film. Yeah. And so here's this really kind of Midwest, really lovable guy, and you're rooting for him the whole time while these really sleazy guys are trying to take him down. It's just fantastic. <laughs> I have to watch that. So that's the second one. The third one is one that's not so well known, but it's called State of Mind. Mm-hmm. And it's about the spectacles in North Korea, which these two filmmakers had access to, and they followed several different young athletes who were practicing for the spectacle. And in these spectacles, of course, what it is is people are pixels. You know, they have these like huge stadium-sized things, and they're like a little robot. So they're cogs in this machine, which is like perfect. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine like, you know, like a, a picture that's made up of pixels, but every pixel is actually is a little boy or girl holding up a card, colored cards in sequence. Mm-hmm. So these things move, which means that, you know, there's not a pixel missing. So that means that nobody's sick. It's like, you know, this, you're not allowed to be sick. 
you can't make a mistake at all. And it's getting inside of North Korea, which turns out to be a nationwide cult. And I think that in 50 years when they're gone, nobody will believe that that was even possible. And this documentary will be there saying, no, 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 they really was a nationwide cult. And they really did believe this. It really is amazing just to see what's going on there. All right. Well, I I know what I'm doing for the next few days, (laughs) next few evenings. I could Uh, go on, unfortunately, because I have a lot of them. But go to the True true Films. I only review ones that are great. So I don't do – Awesome. I'm just saying these are fantastic. Oh, man. All right. I've been looking for this. I cannot believe that I'm only learning this now. I'm kind of embarrassed about that. When you think of the word or hear the word successful, who's the first person who comes to mind? Jesus. All right. Why would you say that? Well, there aren't that many people who've uh, left their mark on as many people in the world as he has. I think what he was up to, what he was doing is, you know, vastly been twisted, misunderstood, whatever word you want. But nonetheless, what's remarkable is, and here's a guy who didn't write anything. So I I think success is also overrated. (laughs) All right. I'd love for you to elaborate on that. Uh, Greatness is overrated. A lot of, you know, I I mentioned big numbers, but it's more of the impact that he had on people's lives. But I think we tend to have an image of success that's somewhat been skewed by you know our current media. It's, it's like our sense of beauty in mm-hmm. women. It's sort of like in terms of all possibilities, it's in a very small, narrow, defined, it's almost kind of ritualistic in a certain sense. Mm-hmm. And I think our, our idea of success is is often today it means you know somebody who has a lot of money or who has a lot of fame or who has some of these other trappings which we assign, but I think can be successful in by being true to and kind of being the most you that you could possibly be. And I think that's what I think of as one of the things that Jesus, whether you take him as just a historical character or anything beyond, was was about. He certainly wasn't imitating anybody, let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's the, the, the great temptation that people have is they want to be someone else, which is basically they want to be in someone else's movie. You know, They want to be the best rock star, and there's so many of those already that you can only wind up imitating somebody in that in that slot. And I think, to me, the success is like you make your own slot. You have a new slot that didn't exist before. And I think, you know, that's, of course, what Jesus and many others were doing, but it was they were kind of making, making a new slot. And that's really hard to do. But I think that's what I chalk up as success is you made a new slot. What is your new slot? <laughs> you knew you knew that was coming. <laughs> Who says I'm successful? Well, I'm uh, not. I, I'm, I'm trying to not make any assumptions here. Yeah. Or so, what would be your slot? Well, my slot would be Kevin Kelly. I mean, <laughs> I mean that's the whole thing. It's not going to be like a career, or you would really ideally be something that was. You had no no imitators. I mean, you would be who you are, and that's that is success. Actually, in some senses, is you didn't imitate anybody; no one else imitated you afterwards. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, in a certain sense, you have. If you become an adjective, that's a good sign, right? Mm-hmm. So I think success is actually you kind of make your own path. If they're calling you a successful entrepreneur, then to me, that's not the best kind of success. Hmm. Because you're being confined to that yes, category. Right. Right, you're in a category. If you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? I could sing. Ah, you would like to sing? Yeah, I seem to be unable to carry a tune. I can't remember. 
I mean, my wife can hear something once and she can just sing it back like huh. years later. I, I could hear the same song. Or I have heard the same song and I couldn't tell you three notes of it. I'm sure, because I'm a Tim Ferriss fan, I'm sure I could train myself to be better. <laughs> I know I could, but I, I guess I haven't. And it would be something that I have to really work at and I haven't, but I have trouble carrying a tune, staying in tune, remembering a tune. I love music and, and I appreciate it, but in terms of actually singing and or play, I don't play an instrument. So maybe I would say if it was a little easier for me, that would be something nice. Have you taken lessons or attempted to take lessons? No. I got it. So just in the spirit of trade, I've recently started exploring hand drumming with gem, mm -hmm. djembes and different types of drums. If anyone out there can get me a pan art hang, I would really love to hear from you. Those of you that, that will mean nothing to most people who are hearing this. The research that has piqued my curiosity most recently, and of course you don't want to run out and just start swallowing these things, but there's a common anti epilepsy drug called valproate, which apparently has some implications for opening a window for achieving perfect pitch in mature adults. Very fascinating stuff. Wow. Uh, wow. So if, if, if I do, if I yeah, do any yeah. experiments with that, I will, I will certainly report back. Well, when, now that you've talked about it, not the drug part, but I did remember I did take one class. You mentioned the drums. I took a one class at a, an adult summer camp which I highly recommend. If your kids go to camp, you should go with them. And it was a steel drum oh, cool. course. And I love that. So like you, I think if I did take up an instrument, it would be drums of some sort because that I seem to respond to. And I did pretty good for the, for the intro course on steel drumming. I, I find percussion to be so primal. It just satisfied yeah, some right, type right, of right. need that probably predates yes. verbal communication even. Yeah, yeah, certainly, yeah, I mean, certainly written notes. Right. I think um, it is your inner caveman just responding there. <laughs> are there any particular, let's just say in the first two hours of your day, any particular morning rituals or habits you have that when performed consistently you find produce better days for you? And I'm leaving better days undefined on purpose, but I love studying mornings and or what people do when they wake up. What time do you wake up? Are there any particular Habits or rituals that you find contribute to better days? Yeah, yeah. I'm a very good sleeper. I don't sleep a lot. These days, I get up at 7.30, and I have some rituals, but I, I don't vary them enough maybe to, to know whether they are – I'm not a morning person, okay, to begin with. You're not so, a morning person. Well, I mean – Well, the fact that you don't vary them is perfect. So, <laughs> well, is, I know, but, but that means they're not necessarily optimized in any way, right, or, or right. I can't tell which is better. But for better or worse – one of the first things I do is I read the paper version of the New York Times. Mm -hmm. It's a kind of like a so what I call a guilty pleasure. Mm -hmm. I don't know whether that makes me better at anything else I do, but um, I don't drink coffee or anything. This is sort of my um, it's a ritual. And when I'm not here, I don't read it, so it's like I don't miss it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> curious, but like if I'm here, it's like I got to do it. I don't know. It's kind of weird. Is that immediately after waking you read the paper or is there anything you just do? about I just yeah. about I kind of in my pajamas I walk out to the front gate and I pick it up and um, I read it I mean and I don't read all of it I just kind of go through and I usually don't even read the news part I read the slower stuff mm -hmm. I'm not sure why I now that you're asking and that's it. That's the entire ritual. I don't have the same thing for breakfast or anything like that. It's just that morning hit. Do you do anything 
throughout your day regularly, maybe it's before bed or anything else that that most other people probably don't do? That's a good question. Um, no. Really? Okay. I have no special sauce. <laughs> but you're very consistent. You don't, your days seem to be, yeah, don't vary very widely. So that in and of itself might be well, something that a lot of people don't do. Okay, let's make up two different things. While I'm here in this studio, I have a lot of control over my time. And so what I do during the day is, is greatly varied. I'll, you know, I'll, I do a lots of things for short amounts of times and you know, go into my workshop. I'll read, actually read books, sit down and read books during the middle of the day. Hmm. I'll go out, I'll do a hike and bring my camera out almost every day. Mm-hmm. It, maybe that is something that most people don't do is probably, they probably aren't taking pictures with a camera every day mm-hmm. or reading so, books in the middle of the day for that matter. Right. Exactly. Well, maybe that's true. I guess. How do you choose your books? Ah, that's, that's a paradox of choice problem for a lot of, for a lot of people. It is. It's like, what are you going to listen to next in music? I think the music becomes free and everybody has all the music in the world, but deciding what you're going to listen to becomes the thing you'll pay for. And I, and I, this has been my prediction about Amazon is that we're soon going to have like any book you want for free, Amazon prime, digital version of it. You can have it whenever you want, but you'll pay for us for the recommendations. And, um, (laughs) that's a great point. That's a great point. I have a network of friends, and I listen to lots of podcasts. So I get them from all over the place. And like probably you are at this point, I long ago decided that in terms of the greater scheme of things, the cost of books were really cheap. And if I wanted a book, I would buy it. Right. And the result is I'm right now speaking in a two-story high library of books that I have. And I don't do the same with digital books because i finally figured out that oh you know if i purchase a digital book before i'm reading it it's not going anywhere it's just sitting there so i shouldn't really purchase a digital book until like five seconds before i'm going to read it (laughs) i have exactly the opposite habit (laughs) because right because it's like well it's it's just there the whole point of kindle is that you don't have to have it until like you need it so on the digital books i don't buy anything until like i'm seconds away from reading it then i'll get it but the paper books I was near to the point of actually digitizing and getting rid of all my paper books. I was that close about five years ago. But then I had an epiphany. I went to a private library, and I realized that books were never as cheap as they are today, and they never will be as cheap, and that there's some power about having these things in paper always available, no batteries, you know, never obsolete. And that if you made a library now, you would never be able to make some of these libraries in 50 years. And so I decided to hmm. keep and to kind of cultivate this paper library as a, you know, as something that was going to be very powerful in the future. Hmm. I like that. Or at least I can use it as a justification for keeping a lot of paper books exactly. around. Exactly. <laughs> so so, so I, I get tips from books from podcasts, from blogs, from friends from Amazon recommendations, anywhere. And whenever I hear someone recommend a book, I'll go and check it out. And then I'm fairly free in buying it, but which means that I read a lot of really mediocre books. <laughs> what? But that's part of my job. Right. That's... In Cool Tools, the book that we were just talking about, which is this catalog of possibilities that I self-published that has, oh, I know, 1,500. You know, maybe there's a couple hundred books that are recommended, but I probably read thousands and thousands and thousands of books in order to select those. So I see part of my job reading through, and I read a lot of how-to books, mm-hmm. 
most of the books I'm reading is nonfiction, and a lot of it is even instructional stuff on you know how to build a stone wall, how to do origami, how to send a satellite, microsatellite into space, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I'll look at it, and I've seen tens of thousands, if not fifty thousand, how-to books over my lifetime. I can spot a really good one but still i'll read through the um the other ones in order so that someone else doesn't have to and i can recommend saying this is the best book on building a tiny house if you want to build a tiny house now do you when you read these books on origami or stonewall do you follow through and attempt these projects or are you evaluating it purely based on your amassed experience of reading lots of these types of instructional books no, actually, so maybe one of the other things that I don't do every day, but one of the things I do in general that maybe everyone else is not doing is that I have like a thousand hobbies. I dabble in things. Mm-hmm. So I have built stone walls, more than one. I have done origami. I have made beer. I have made wine. I have, you know, whatever it is, I, I've tried to do these things in my life and I continue to try and do them. I have homeschooled my son. I have, and so as much as possible, this is what my, you know, I was talking before about my day. It's irregular in a sense that I'm here and I have things, but I'm doing new things and I'm reading new things all the time. So I'm in my outside um you know i'll make a go-kart or we'll um do something Mm -hmm. that i haven't done before and that's the basis for helping decide about these books i don't have to be an expert in them but i can know enough to tell whether or not the information they're telling me is useful what odd project over the last year has been the most fun let's start there for you yeah well just the last couple of months i finally built myself a real workshop Mm. And I wish I could show it to you because one of the cool things I did it was, you know, if you go onto like uh, Uline or somewhere, these container mm-hmm. businesses, they have these racks of bins. So I filled an entire wall of hundreds and hundreds of bins so, <laughs> so I can organize stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm a big fan of Adam Savage. And yeah. he, has, he has a principle for his workshops called first order access, which mm. basically means that you don't want to store things behind anything. Everything has to be at the first level so you can look and see it. Mm-hmm. It has to be within reach in the sense that you have to be able to see everything that you have and it's accessible. You don't want things hidden behind other things. Right. So that's part of what I was doing with this workshop is um, this kind of first order access. And it's tremendously powerful. I mean, I just – the few days or the weeks I've had working in it, it just transforms – Everything. It's like I had the same problem with my books for many, many years. I had books like on multiple different bookshelves in the house. I had them in boxes. I had them this and that. And moving everything to one location into a library where there was two stories and I could see all my books just transformed them. It made it really useful because I could find them, just really go and reach for them. And the same thing with – I'm finally bringing it to my tools, which is that you want to have things plugged in, ready to go labeled, organized, first order access, and it can make simple jobs really simple instead of like the, you know, the hours of looking for something. <laughs> right, also, gathering all the tools. Gathering all the tools. And also it's like done, cooking. It's just like cooking. Exactly. Yeah, it's, like cooking. it's having like a manual random access memory, right? right. You have your mise en place right in front of you. Yeah, you have like, you know, the tools are, yeah. <sighs> That's very cool. If there were one object, manual, project, building something that you think every human should have the experience of doing, what would that be? It's very easy. 
Mm. You need to build your own house, <laughs> your own shelter, and it's not that hard to do. Believe me, I actually I built my own house, mm-hmm. and your house is amazing. I, no, I, not not this house. I mean, I actually built one from cutting down the logs, cutting down the trees in upstate New York. Wow, and doing the stone hearths, and we, you know, I mean, unfortunately, I don't recommend this. We made like two by fours from trees. You don't want to do that because. <laughs> It's a pain because you know standard standard lumber is very is very good if things are off a little quarter of an inch as they are with rough um, sawn lumber it's just it's a mess. But nonetheless, a large portion of the people in the world have made their own homes, adobe, rammed earth, bamboo, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And like going back to what we originally started off with, um, even if you don't wind up uh, living in it, mm-hmm. it's empowering. To know that you can do it, For sure. and if you do wind up living in it, I have a friend Lloyd Kahn who built this magnificent place in um, Bolinas that he built with salvage material from from scratch over the many years. It gives you the power to alter it. So I believe that that your house should be an extension of you. That that really Definitely. it's another projection. So another way of if, and also going back to what we're talking about, it's another way to discover who you are and discover what you're good at. And because a well-designed house should really reflect you. And, and what I've discovered, a lot of people design houses and they have this kind of imaginary fantasy idea about themselves and what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, whatever it is, they're going to um, have a swimming pool. Well, you know, it's like they're never going to use a swimming pool, whatever it is. I mean, very few people actually have a very good sense of who they are and what they're going to use something for. But if you really study yourself and really are honest and design something – that space can help you become successful in the sense of making a slot for you, mm. making your own slot. And it's another, it's both a kind of a byproduct of who you are and also can help you become right. who you are. It works both ways. I like that, right? You're not just finding yourself, you're creating yourself. Exactly. And, and that, so this is a larger philosophical question, but this is something I talk about a lot. In a very high dimensional space, which means like space of many pending possibilities, mm-hmm. the act of finding and the act of creating are identical. Mm-hmm. There's no difference between discovering something and inventing something. Mm-hmm. You could we, we could say that philosophically, you know, Benjamin Franklin invented electricity. We could say that Christopher Columbus invented America. We could say that discovery and invention are the same. So that discovering yourself and inventing yourself is really the same things mm. will bring about that process. You have to do both at once. I really enjoy that. Last question. If you could give your, let's say, you can pick the age, either 15 or 20 year old self, one or a few pieces of advice, what wow. would they be? You don't have to do everything yourself. You can hire people to do stuff. Mm. I wish I had known that when I was younger. I wish that I had, when I was 20, working for Holoth Catalog, I wish I'd known that I could have hired a programmer to do something. I could have hired someone. It took me a long time to understand that. And then recently, I've been really big on it, hiring people through Elance. Mm-hmm. You know, because I came from a little bit of kind of a do-it-yourself, I mean, I made a nature museum when I was 12. I had a chemistry lab that I built myself, you know, building the stuff. And I could buy in the glassware, but I had a whole chemistry lab. I had nature museums. I did all this stuff, and I did it myself. And then, of course, moving into the whole earth catalog, which was a kind of a do-it-yourself thing. I really was, um, you know, I just talked about building my own house. 
well, now I will hire <laughs> professionals to work. And it just took me a long time to realize that there's something about being able to pay a professional to do what they do really well. It's not like a weakness. It's like it helps them. Mm-hmm. I'm happy. They're happy. We're all happy. And I can do a lot more. Now, there's certainly a pleasure in doing things yourself and dabbling it. But there's also this other thing, which I didn't realize, which is there's, there's this a leverage that you get by hiring people who are really good, paying them fairly, working with them to amplify what it is that you want to do. Mm-hmm. And I wish I knew that when I was younger. That's a fantastic answer. And you you have, if I remember correctly, an assistant and a researcher. Is, mm-hmm. that, is that still true? Yeah, it's one and the same person. Oh, they are the same. Okay. Yeah. So I thought that at one point you had believed that you needed those people to be two separate people. But you're well, right. Well, here, here's what I, what I was saying was that it's very unusual to find one person who can do both of those tasks. Both of those tasks are often not found in the same person because there's you know, the hunting, the researching, the kind of – there's a hunter aspect to research that is – often found in a certain personality and then they're kind of the the admin is more of um you know nurturing kind of um making sure things uh gardening a little bit mm-hmm. and so it's often rare to find someone who can do both mm-hmm. but it's possible was it luck that you happened upon this particular individual that you work with now or did you have a, a method for was there a particular approach that, that well, bore I've, fruit I've, I found that the place where I found I've had over the 14 years, I've had two, the place where I found that they were more likely than not to have a combination was librarians. I love it. That's fantastic. And so we uh, put out notices on the librarian mailing list and stuff. <laughs> that is fantastic. I said last question. This will be the last question. Is there, <laughs> is there any other thoughts or advice you'd like to leave with the listeners and then where would you like people to find more from you, your writing, anywhere else? I would say congratulations to the people who are listening to the podcast. I think podcasts are this fantastic new medium. I'm spending a lot of time there. I think it's just really great. We're in the early days of where this would go. I'm really impressed by the power of this medium to teach and to inform, sometimes to entertain Again, I'm thankful to you, Tim, for having me on and having a chance to gab here. But to the people who are listening, I think keep going. Listen to more podcasts. Uh, try to go wide. I know Tim mentions them here and there. Take a chance. Listen to some more. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I would say. And as far as finding out more about me, I lucked out with a very easy email <laughs> and website. It's my initials, KK, kk.org. I have a very public email for the past 25 years. You can find it very easily on my website if you want to email directly. I have not outsourced that, <laughs> unlike other people that I know. <laughs> and my writings and books and whatnot are at www.kk.org. Cool Tools is a book that I really believe that each of you out there should have. It's on paper. It's sort of the best of the website, Cool Tools, which has been going on for 11 years now, where we review every day one great tool. There are only positive reviews. Why waste your time on anything but the best? And tools in the broadest sense of the word of things that are useful, whether it's Elance or 
a book on how to um, do psychedelics or a book on how to build a workshop or how to build a house or how to hitchhike around the world. I and others recommend the best here with some great context. And it's printed on paper or available on Amazon. Not so easily found in bookstores because it, because it's huge. I mean, it's, it's like it's like five pounds weighs. It's really really big. <laughs> and if you don't find like five hundred things in there you didn't know about that you wish you knew about, like last year, I, I'll give you your money back. So um, <laughs> um, enjoy that. So that's that uh, cool tools or cool tools in Amazon. Excellent. Well, Kevin, this has been a blast. It always is. Every time we chat, I feel like we should chat more. So hopefully, we'll get a chance to spend some more time together soon. Back in. NorCal or somewhere else? Or else in China. Or in China. It's been a long time. I could get back. I'm I'm ready. I'm heading back to Japan again. And I know that you have uh, lots of roots in in Asia, but um, Mm -hmm. I go there to renew my sense of the future because they are, you know, they're bulldozing the past as fast as they can and headed racing into the future. And so uh, I want to see what Asia has in store for us because mathematically we don't count anymore. (laughs) 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 You know, one point. Three billion, whatever, three billion Asians and, you know, 300 million Americans. What can you say? Yeah, that's right. So study up, folks. Specialization is for insects. I think that that was Heinlein. So enjoy your time on this planet and look broadly, like like Kevin said. Kevin, thank you so much. I will talk to you soon and uh, have a wonderful day. I will talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Tim. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you want more of The Tim Ferriss Show, you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or go to 4hourblog.com where you'll find an award-winning blog, tons of audio and video interview stories with people like Warren Buffett and Mike Shinoda from Linkin Park, the books, plus much, much more. Follow Tim on Twitter at twitter.com slash tferris. That's T-F-E-R-R-I-S-S. Or on Facebook at facebook.com slash tim ferris. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>